Hello, everyone. If we've never met before, my name is Adam, and I am a human being. Nice to meet you. Uh, we're starting a new series called Being Human, in which we'll be studying a human named David. Now, the primary question of this series is, what does it mean to be human? David himself asked this rhetorical question in Psalm 8, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? You made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. Now, why is this question important? Well, right at the beginning of the Bible, we see this. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. If humans are made in the image of God, uh, then through humans, we should get a glimpse of God, his character, his plans, his purposes. And maybe we could get insights into age old human questions like, why am I here? What's my purpose? What's wrong with this world? Why do donuts taste so good and vegetables taste so bad? And where did my metabolism go? Maybe that one's a little personal. <laughs> so what does it mean to be human? Well, it's complicated. It's complicated because humans can be the worst. A couple of years ago, my 80-something-year-old grandma gets a call from a young man claiming to be her grandson, i.e. me. He proceeds to tell her that he's in Vegas and he's made some mistakes and he is now in jail. So he needs her to wire him some money immediately to get out. Now, even though I'm a pastor, I'm not perfect, but I can assure you, like I assured my grandma, that I've never been in jail in Vegas. Even if I had, I wouldn't tell you because apparently whatever happens there stays there. But thankfully, right before she sent the money, she realized this couldn't be me. Their entire call centers devoted to trying to scam people out of money. You know this. How many calls do you get a day from an unknown uh, number telling you this is the last chance to extend your warranty? Oh my gosh, people can be the worst. Get this, there are people who make turns in their cars without using their blinkers. If that's you today, you need to repent and ask God for mercy. There are people who chew with their mouths open. Get this, can you believe there are people that cheer for the Los Angeles Dodgers? I know, I know. But of course, uh, it gets worse. It gets more serious. Maybe you're a student and you've been bullied because of the way that you look. Maybe this bullying has taken place online. We're constantly reminded of the worst of people every time we hear about a mass shooting, a human taking the lives of other humans. You know, today is Juneteenth, a holiday in which we celebrate the freedom of African-American slaves in our country. As we celebrate and we contemplate this day, we also are reminded of the worst of humanity. 
enslaving other humans, judging others by the color of their skin instead of the content of their character. Humans can be the worst, but it's complicated because sometimes, sometimes humans can be the best. I wanna show you this picture that takes place at a children's hospital in Memphis. And these window washers dressed up as superheroes to cheer up the kids. Now, why did they do this? Simply to bless kids who are in a scary and painful situation. Humans do these kinds of things sometimes. Now, this next picture is of two Kevins. Uh, One Kevin was on the Golden Gate Bridge about to take his life when the other Kevin talked to him for about an hour, helping convince the first Kevin that his life was valuable and to not go through with it. This next picture is years later. Now this first Kevin is married with two kids. He's an advocate for mental health and he is presenting an award to the other Kevin that saved his life. They're humans in this very congregation who give up comfort and money to foster or adopt children. There are people who have built orphanages and created clean water initiatives. They fought for justice of the oppressed. Sometimes humans will sacrifice their entire life to save the life of another human. Humans can be the worst, but they can be the best. Now, David was a complicated human. In Acts, uh, we see this about David. He made David their king. In his testimony about him, he said, I have found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my heart, who will carry out all my wishes. He was a man after God's heart. He was humble He was a God-fearing leader. He was a committed friend and a loyal servant. And maybe most famously, he was a courageous and brave warrior. But David was also a bad husband. He used his power to coerce a young, innocent woman into sex and then essentially murdered her husband, which led to massive problems for the entire family. He was not a great father. He left a complicated legacy. He had great mistakes and flaws. So what does it mean to be human? It's complicated, but it's so important for us to study because as we study, maybe we might discover there's no such thing as just a normal average human. Maybe we'll discover the key to living a full and abundant life is not trying to escape your humanity, but instead embracing it. See, embracing our humanness might be the missing link between understanding why God has us here, understanding our place in this world, our calling, our gifts, our oddities. Maybe we will discover that none of this human experience is an accident. It's created with intention. So let's start uh, with the creation of humanity. In the creation narrative, we see this. And there was no one to till the ground, 
but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. And then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. So what was mankind formed from? The dust of the ground. The Hebrew word here is afar, meaning dust, earth, ground, or soil. So a bit about dirt and soil. Now we don't think about it often, um, but dirt, earth, and soil are fascinating. Uh, Bridget Emmett is a UK soil scientist. And she says that in a single gram of soil uh, contains as many as 50,000 microorganisms. And then in one teaspoon of soil, there are more microorganisms than there are people on the earth. And these microorganisms give off antibiotics uh, where we derive many of our medicines today. So at its best, soil and earth is teeming with life. And it's soil and earth that gives life to plants and trees, which eventually sustain human life. Now, dirt is more than just dirt, but for most of us, usually dirt is just dirty. Uh, I have a picture of my three-year-old son recently. I didn't stage this for the sermon. This is an everyday experience in our backyard. My kids are dirt magnets. And when we propose the idea of washing their hands, it's like asking them to write a PhD dissertation. Like we are such strict parents. How dare we? How dare we propose such a burdensome task? You know what else is a dirt magnet? My car. Yeah, you can draw pictures on it with your fingers through the dust. Also, my shoes, my hardwood floor, our sidewalk dirt is usually just an annoyance that gets in our way. And some of you, all you're gonna think about the rest of the sermon is that there's dirt on the carpet right now. Thankfully, God created vacuums as well. But this is where humans come from, created from earth and dirt. We are organic beings with flesh and blood and fingernails and hair and skin and bones. We're fragile and vulnerable, yeah. You and I know this, but that's not all about us. The narrative uh, continues. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. And then what? He breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life. And the man became a living being. We are not just organic, earthly material. God breathes his spirit into humans. It's this breath, of course, that gives us life. So at all of our campuses and online, I wanna ask you to take some deep breaths right now with me. continue to take some deep breaths. And I want to talk about breathing for a bit. Every newborn enters the world with an inhale. And we all leave the world with an exhale. Each day, we take about 26,000 breaths. Experts say that from our breathing, we should get 99% of our energy but most of us only access 10 to 20% of that energy. 
because of our hectic lives and our constant state of worry, instead of breathing from the stomach, we take shallow, quick breaths from the chest. But it's this deep breathing that activates something called the vagus nerve. And when it's stimulated, calmness pervades the body, slowing our heart rate, decreasing blood pressure, and our muscles begin to relax. The vagus nerve informs the brain to increase feelings of peacefulness. More than ever, we're finding out that breathing is not only essential to living, but the fullness of life. Now, this physical breathing that we all possess is a picture of a deeper reality. The Hebrew word ruah and the Greek word pneuma are deeply connected with the concept of the Holy Spirit, God's divine breath within us. See, humans are dirt fragile and organic, but also breathed into by the divine spirit of God. To be human, there's a union between physical and spiritual. We come to life from this union. But instead of embracing this union, what we tend to do is we separate and divide. Just like we separate clean clothes and dirty clothes, we divide into sacred and ordinary, holy and earthly. There are things I do for God, like church and Bible studies and mission trips. And then there are the ordinary mundane things that I do for myself or my boss, like spreadsheets or checking Instagram. Sometimes uh, we do this with spiritual people. I was officiating a wedding not too long ago. And one side uh, was from Poland and the other side was from Brazil. And during the reception, there was a lot of dancing, particularly from the Brazilian side, many of whom attend my ministry. And one of them came over to tell me her mom, who was visiting from Brazil, said to her, I can't believe you're dancing in front of your pastor. Uh, Like, I like dancing. I'm horrible at dancing. Just look at me, but I like it. But I'm supposed to be the pastor. My mind always focused on God and holy things. Not dancing, that's, that's for you pagans. Now, similar to when I'm at a meal with a group of people and it comes time to pray and everybody immediately turns to me. And I'm like, you know, you can talk to God too, you know? Uh, I promise these tacos will be just as blessed if you pray for them instead of me. I mean, they're tacos. They're always blessed. (laughs) It's not just spiritual matters, right? We separate people that are gifted and otherworldly because they can put the ball in the hoop consistently or they've made billions of dollars or maybe they look beautiful on a screen. They are separate from us, normal average people. Which brings us back to David. Many of us, when we think of David, we think of this mythic superhero type, the man who slayed a giant. We we envision a conquering hero, sort of like this scripture entails. As they were coming home, when David returned from killing the Philistine, The women came out of the towns of Israel singing and dancing. The women sang to one another as they made merry. 
Saul has killed his thousands and David is ten thousands. So we see this legend returning home from an epic battle. Songs are written about him. A parade is thrown. People don't throw parades for us normal people. And maybe in your, your mind, you see David like in, in this picture. I mean, look at that guy. Sign this guy up for the Avengers, man. Sign me up for a membership at his gym. But in reality, David was not a superhero. He had no superpowers. Uh, did you know that there aren't any miracles in this entire story? It's the longest character story in the entire Bible, but zero miracles. He was the youngest of seven brothers, which was a, a major disadvantage in the ancient world. He was not ripped or shockingly strong, probably the opposite. Actually, in the account of Samuel looking for the chosen one, David's dad didn't even think to present David as an option. He was skipped over. As Samuel's looking through the older brothers, they, they are impressive, but not David. So we see this in the scripture. When, uh, when they came, he looked on Eliab, one of the older brothers, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. So David was a shepherd, which had become a lowly position during this time. Uh, one scholar uh, saying shepherds were despised in everyday life. They were considered second class. Uh, later, he was a servant uh, as a young boy playing music for the, the king. And then instead of going off to war like the older brothers, he was tasked with bringing refreshments and a charcuterie to the real warriors. So check this out. The beauty of the David story is this. He is us. We're supposed to see ourselves in this story. The skipped over, the unimpressive. He was an average human of flesh and blood made from the same dirt you and I are made from. Eugene Peterson says this, uh, the David story, like most other Bible stories, presents us not with a polished ideal to which we aspire, but with a rough-edged actuality in which we see humanity being formed, the God presence in the earth, human conditions. Yeah. He was an average flesh and blood human that was unified with God and his presence. See, it's the union of human with God that makes his story so powerful. So what does it mean to be human? It's this, to be fully human is to be in union with God. To be fully human is to be in union with God. The union of our everyday humanness with the spirit of God. 
See, many of us are looking to escape our circumstances, their obstacles or annoyances or burdens. But what if these circumstances are exactly the places filled with God's presence? What if doing laundry or homework or paying bills, what if times with friends or enemies, times of sickness and fear or breakfast and chores could be spent? in union with the living spirit of God. I don't know about you, this inspires me. Maybe this is what it means to be human. Each seemingly mundane moment filled with deep purpose and union with God. Now we wanna provide you with a resource to help you practice this over the summer. Uh, this right here is a psalm book that's available at all of our campuses uh, where we have a weekly psalm chosen for you to reflect and meditate on. Uh, Peterson uh, says that prayer is a tool to connect with God and the psalms are a tool for prayer. Now, what you may not know is about half of the 150 psalms were written by David. He could have written these Psalms while alone with the sheep, dirty and sweaty, or he could have written one when he was in a cave hiding. He was hungry and tired, or, or maybe after his great successes when he was elated with joy, or after his failures when he was weighed down with brokenness. These Psalms were a way to combine his flesh and blood moments with the presence of God. And that's what we want for you as well. Take this psalm book with you during your normal activities. Read them between emails. Memorize them in the car. Pray them before a meeting. Maybe meditate on them during a lunch break. See, another thing about the psalms is they were Jesus's hymn book. You know, there are no Jewish worship bands with holes in their jeans and electric guitars cranking out new tunes. The Psalms were the tunes. And as a Jewish rabbi, Jesus would have had all the Psalms memorized. Well, that's not the only interesting connection between Jesus and David. In the first verse of the first book of the New Testament, we see this, an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. He's the son of David because, of course, he was human. For most of us, it's easy to think of Jesus as God, as this superhero floating around, changing all the water into adult beverages, a brain like Wikipedia, never having to be scared or worried because he knew the future. We get the supernatural Jesus, but we often miss the human side. Again, Peterson says, uh, through the Christian centuries, we've had a harder time taking seriously the human elements of the story than the divine. It's been easier to believe that Jesus was God than that Jesus was human. But John's gospel says the word became flesh and lived among us. Jesus was fully God, but he became fully human of dirt. The prophet Isaiah said that there's nothing special or unique about his outward appearance. He had no form 
or majesty that we should look on him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And he had a human family. He had a mom and a dad. He had a lineage that could be traced back to David's adultery with Bathsheba. He had an ethnicity and a culture. Despite the old movies or pictures, his ethnicity was not European with golden locks and blue eyes. He was a Middle Eastern Jewish man. As a human, we can trust that he had blemishes and quirks. Maybe he was the guy that just sneezed annoyingly loud, or maybe he had thinning hair, or who knows, maybe he was a Dodgers fan. Just kidding. Jesus would never do that. (laughs) Sorry, Dodgers fan. Uh, He had a craft. He trained as a carpenter. He came from an average, boring village. At that time, Nazareth probably had 300 residents. An initial concern about Jesus being the Messiah was the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? See, Jesus is the perfect image of a full human. And at the core of this fullness is a union. He was fully human, but he was fully God. Be fully human is to be in union with God. Through Jesus, we see the worst of humanity. People willing to kill someone who's bringing a kingdom of love and justice. But through Jesus, we also see the best. A human who laid down his life for other humans. And the sacrifice that he made was addressing the great separation. This reality that we all have the worst of humanity in us. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We were all separated because we all have the worst in us. But it's through the sacrifice that he made a way to an eternal union with God. Because as the story goes, uh, just as we were created from dust to dust, our bodies will return. One day we will breathe our last physical breath with an exhale. Our flesh and blood will pass away. But our spirit, our spirit will continue on. And Jesus made a way to an eternal kingdom where full union with God will take place in heaven. But here's the deal. We don't have to wait. We can bring up there, down here. Jesus says his presence, his kingdom of heaven is available now. It's all around us. It's within us. It's now available to everyone Heaven we have seen is right now, right here, around our bodies, hovering beside our heads. It's here in the dirty, messy normalcy of human life. So this summer, may we follow in the dusty steps of our rabbi and savior, the God who became human, who brought up there, down here. May we embrace our humanness 
as we live in God's presence. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder. This reminder that you have created each of us in your image. And that our our humanness is not something we have to separate, to distance ourselves from. It's something to embrace. God, in this, these next seven, eight weeks, would you show us how to, to live in your presence, to, to bring your kingdom of heaven into our normal human activities? Would you teach us to connect with you, to be in union with you, to commune with you in each moment? God, would we learn how to walk with you? Uh, and as we do that, Would you transform us? Would you change us into your image? Uh, So as we walk in this world, people will be drawn uh, to this way of living. Uh, God, would you teach us how to be humans uh, following after you? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.